Uh, Father, where we need to be corrected or rebuked, give us that. Where we need to be encouraged or instructed, give us that. Where we need to be enlightened or turned around, give us that. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a sermon about greed and how it wrecks things. There is nothing like a nice windfall, some unexpected money that comes your way, a bonus perhaps, or an inheritance, or a lucky find. I was once in DJ's trying on jeans, and in a pair of jeans with all the labels on it sitting on the shelf, as I put it on in the change rooms, there was $50 in the pocket. Good day. Money is so attractive that it's often tempting to find a way to grab some, you know, especially if some large quantity is kind of floating nearby. It's especially tempting to find a way to grab some, even if it's not right and it's not yours. Every day it happens. Every day people's lives fall apart, either quickly or slowly, because of greed and lies and theft. And Gehazi's story, the story we heard from Two Kings, is a story of greed and lies and theft. Paul writes to Timothy, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. We all need to be reminded what not to do. Today is a reminder that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So let's look firstly at Gehazi's greed and what he got for it, and our greed, secondly, and what it might get us, or God willing, not. So Gehazi's greed and what he got for it. Now previously in 2 Kings 5, if you weren't here last week, let me give you a little recap. Naaman, who is a high-ranking, rich Aramean military commander, comes from Damascus to the poor, low-living prophet Elisha for the healing of his leprosy, a chronic skin condition in this case, not perhaps the leprosy you might imagine where people's limbs fall off, digits wither, not that one, but a chronic skin condition. Now, having followed Elisha's instructions to wash in the Jordan River, Naaman is healed wonderfully. And Naaman, loaded down with fabulous wealth and great gratitude, comes back and says to Elisha, please accept a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. And we pick up the story as it turns to Gehazi, Elisha's servant. After Naaman had gone and travelled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, My master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Something is festering in Gehazi. And you might remember that uh, Elisha and his community, the company of the prophets, these are not wealthy people. They are not rich. If you've been with us through this series in Two Kings, you'll know that they've been 
in the midst of a famine and reduced to foraging for wild food just to get enough not to go hungry. Uh, There's a story of a widow of the community who is faced with the enslavement of her sons because she cannot pay her debts. These are not wealthy people. And when Naaman the Aramean comes into their world, this is contact with stupendous wealth. This is a whole other league. And uh, perhaps you have had this experience of kind of bumping up against a much richer world than your own. People who are wealthy in a whole new way. My first ministry was in the parish of Darling Point in Sydney. And Darling Point's kind of like Peppermint Grove on steroids. One day Michelle and I and the kids went down for a swim at the Harbour Beach on a day off. And we parked our you know, 1990 Commodore by the side of the road and walked down to the beach and jumped in the water. It was lovely. And a family whose child I baptised turned up on a yacht from which they dived in their Chanel swimwear to swim into the beach and say hello. Probably the conversation went something like, oh, we just bought a chalet in Aspen or something like this. You know, this was just on a whole nother level. And Naaman the Aramean was like that. He swanned into Samaria wearing Amani, driving a Rolls, offering gifts worth a fortune. And just a small part of what he held out would revolutionise life for the company of the prophets. And he was a foreigner. So why shouldn't he pay? And pay tourist rates as well. So Gehazi said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman, this Aramean, by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. Now, Gehazi did get something from Naaman, but it was not the thing he wanted. The road that Gehazi walked began with an oath. Elisha had sworn an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, I will not accept a thing. Gehazi swears the opposite oath. As surely as the Lord lives, I will get something from him. Gehazi's road, in opposition to his master, is also paved with deception. His lie to Naaman for a start. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. This is all completely fabricated. It's a pretext to get some stuff out of Naaman. Also, he's hiding the stuff that Naaman has gladly given. Involves him in further deceit. When Gehazi came to the hill, perhaps the hill that obscured their approach to the house where Elisha was, he took the things away from the servants, put them away in the house, sent the men away. They left, so no one would see, no one would know. Now, Elisha gives him a chance to confess to all this, to own up and be, be uh, honest. When he went in and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? And perhaps if Gehazi here had stopped, had repented, had plucked up his courage and come clean, things that might have been different for him. But Gehazi doesn't do that. He's brazening it out and lying on. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi said. Oh, Gehazi. He just drove right past the last exit off this road to ruin. 
You shot past it at 100 kilometers an hour. It takes courage to come clean. To be honest. Ghazi did not have either the wisdom, the foresight or the courage to do it here. And Elisha is devastating. Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves and vineyards, flocks and herds or male and female slaves? Is this the time? Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and your descendants forever. Is this the time? This is a moment when a Gentile has turned to the Lord's prophet for healing and then has turned to the Lord himself as a worshipper. This is the time when a Gentile noble is blessed and converted by God. It's a moment of grace and inclusion. It's a moment of a revelation of God's goodness and power and generosity. It is not a moment to exploit, to turn into personal or even community gain. It's not a moment to monetize, to levy a tax upon or accept lavish gifts like a king might. Groves and vineyards and slaves and flocks. These people, we're not kings, says Elisha. We're prophets. Gehazi swore an oath, as surely as the Lord lives, I will get something from him. He didn't get Naaman's money in the end, but he did get his leprosy. Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become white as snow. There is some kind of poetic justice there for sure. That is Gehazi's greed. What about if we turn to ourselves and think about our greed? Will it be our undoing? Well, there's two kinds of greed I want to reflect on briefly. Firstly, there's the greed that ruins ordinary life. Greed is wanting more too badly. Because we all want. And we all want more from time to time. But when you want more too much, then we tip into the territory of greed. Too much is when your desires preoccupy you and especially when they weaken your resolve to do what is right. Gambling is fundamentally based on our desire to win money, to gain. It works upon this desire in us, the desire to have and to have more, to have it cheaply, for nothing, for luck. And it works upon that desire in us, rewarding it and exploiting it and fanning it into a greater flame. So gambling is a dangerous, powerful demon to dance with. My counsel would be to stay well away. Greed is a weakness that people will exploit if it is in you. The crook shows, say, you can't con an honest man. But if you're greedy enough to practice dishonesty, then scammers and people who want you to give them your money on the promise of a lot more easily 
will get you. Or people who want to lend you money and get much more out of you for it will exploit the weakness of your greed to make your life in the end much worse than it would otherwise be. Greed is a weakness that will lead you down a road of lies and into a world of misery. You'll be overcommitted, overleveraged, overspending, and you'll be lying about this, falsifying that, defrauding, conning, stealing, exploiting, covering up, hiding everything. This is where this road goes. It's a bad place. And if this is you to any degree, you're keeping secrets about where your money is or where it is not. You're telling lies to make it all work. Then look for the off-ramp, I say. Look for the opportunity to come clean. Gehazi had it. He didn't take it. Look for the opportunity to confess, to be honest, to take the pain. Take it earlier rather than later. Because your greed, if it gets to this point, won't just be your problem, it's going to be your family's problem as well. All those around you will be affected and not in a good way if you give in to greed. Gehazi's descendants will kind of inherited his curse. It's a way of of illustrating how greed is not just a personal problem, it's a problem that spills out into the lives of people around you. Take the off-ramp and bring whatever bad things are going to happen earlier when they're lesser rather than later when they're much worse. That's the first kind of greed, that's kind of ordinary greed. Secular greed, if you like. But the greed that Gehazi uh, warns us against is, has another dimension to it. It's the greed that ruins God's grace. Right? For more corrupt still than the ordinary kind of greed is the greed that uses God's grace to exploit others. So when church, churches or church leaders say, give, fund this and God will bless you, You'll get more back than you put in. When when churches or church leaders say the more giving, the more blessing will be unlocked, then, well, tremble and run a mile. When grateful believers offer to be generous to church leaders and those church leaders gratefully receive the means to live large, to be rich, then pray for their souls. It's right for believers to support with a decent living those who minister the gospel, who shepherd the flock. But greedy shepherds should not grow fat on the back of that flock. Whoever we are then, shepherd or sheep, we need to think about what needs to go in the place of greed. And the thing that needs to go in the place of greed is contentment. Contentment should be our ambition. Contentment is desire in proper bounds. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with that, says Paul. That is a challenging standard for contentment. We have food and clothing. We will be content with that. Contentment means being easily satisfied, having few needs and Knowing that your wants are good-to-haves, 
but they are not our fixation, our desperate quest to have all we want. Whoever we are, shepherd or sheep, contentment should be our ambition. So, shall we pray for contentment? Father, deliver us from greed, this curse, this deadly sin that infected Gehazi. Deliver us from the willingness to take, to lie, to exploit in order to gain. Uh, Help us never to get on this road, but whenever we might find ourselves on this road, Lord, give us off-ramps. We can get off this road and give us the courage to take those off-ramps, even if it's hard. Teach us true and lasting contentment. Even in a world full of the love of money, may we be people who can be content. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.